direction when it comes to nutrition and, and fitness? Have you find that perfect medium or is it always changing? I, I think it's always changing. You know, you mentioned earlier, just, you know, things are always kind of evolving and changing, but I think because we're mm. humans, we're complex beings, things are always different. There's so many things for us to take into that equation of our health. And so am I getting enough sleep? Am I getting enough exercise? What am I eating? What am I not eating? What kind of nutrients am I getting? Am I not getting enough nutrients? So over the years, I have obsessed about food. I did. It's just funny. It's funny you know, the way you tell the story and everything. Funny how. Come here. Come here, though. Yeah, he's crazy, see? Who are you? I know, and I sometimes I get caught up in like the rabbit hole of like watching those YouTube videos of, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, look at my studio space, and then I'm just like, oh, I just changed it, but let me do it again. My wife always makes fun of me because I constantly <laughs> change it. Same, um, same. My life but, is one big rabbit hole. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is there is there anything in particular that you just got for the studio that you're excited about your podcast studio? I did get a DBX 286S um, preamp, Ooh. so I feel like I'm very high speed now that I have a strip channel channel strip processor, however you yeah, say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it just a cloud lifter? Or? Um, no, so I had uh, I had the cloud lifter, and so mm -hmm. I'm actually using it. I've been going back and forth. I have two microphones. I have the Shure SM7B, and then I have a Sennheiser MK4, nice. and I keep going back and forth trying to figure out which one I like for what purposes. So I'm playing with the MK4 today, nice. um, running through the preamp, but I did have the cloud lifter for the Shure SM7B. The 286 is definitely the way to go, so. Yeah, and you just do that through the computer? Mm-hmm, so okay. it's, um, right. I still have an interface, so I still have like the Rode, a lot of people have the Scarlett um, yeah. S, whatever they are. I have the Rode AI1, so mm -hmm. just same thing, but it's made by Rode. Yeah, I have the uh, Roadcaster Pro too, and I've been okay. using that for quite some time. I love that thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, um, I mean, it's it's literally what I use for everything, for editing, for, it's my interface for the whole computer. It's just nice. And um, now that I've been uh, so immersed in podcasting the last couple of years, I don't like listening to anything audio related without my headset. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, that's yeah. why I use this interface for like everything. So when I'm like editing videos, I... I have this on. So like when I get done at the end of the day, because I had a long editing day today, mm -hmm. day, my ears are so red and swollen yeah. and sweaty, but it's like the only way I can consume audio now. Like even when I watch YouTube videos and I try watching on my phone, it's just. And you've got glasses different. like I do. And I think that makes like right. the end of the day, my head is hurting because it's my glasses are sticking in there oh, for the so worst. long. But. Contacts, I could do that, but then I'm like. Yeah. Those end up drying out after a couple hours. It's just there's you can't win when you have no. Losses. And a random total story here. I don't know if we're recording for the show or not. Oh but yeah, we're going. <laughs> Feel free. Good. Yeah. So random story. Why mm -hmm. I don't wear contacts anymore. My husband about six seven years ago now got mm -hmm. a random MRSA infection in his eyeball, and his eyeball blew up to you know three four times the size of what it should have been. It was like a golf bigger than a golf ball, looked like this monster eyeball. Um, the doctors what? couldn't save it. The infection was so bad. It was at risk of having the MRSA infection because the eyeball is like this self-contained organ. And so there was MRSA in the eyeball and he was at risk of having MRSA. If it shot out of the eyeball and through the optic nerve, it would have gone to his brain. MRSA in the brain would have most likely killed him. 
So they had to take his eyeball out. So after that, I was like, well, I don't need to be sticking things in my eye. <laughs> Dude, um, okay. Daily. Well, I'm convinced not to have <laughs> contacts anymore. Thanks, Stephanie. Shit. Yeah, so uh, no more contacts for me. So I've been Eesh. trying to up my glasses game here. <laughs> wow. that's a, How long ago was that? Uh, that was about seven years ago. Uh, 2017, wow. I think it was. So, so I'm sure it's, he's adjusted, obviously. So I'm sure it's you're never yeah, going to get used to it. But yeah. Yeah. Ugh. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, you know, and it's it kind of terrifying, like, with anything, right? Like, you, you talk about whether it's that or LASIK or mm -hmm. really any type of major surgery. And we talked about this on your show when it comes to surgery from uh, from Crohn's, which I want to get into your story as well. But it's, it's always a double-edged sword, right? Because yeah. just people... Uh, we don't know what's going to happen, number one. Number two, we're listening to experts, and sometimes they're right, but sometimes they're wrong. And it's just it's this weird battle that we play as humans. And um, that's when I learned a long time ago when I was diagnosed, and I've dealt with so many issues since then that are not related to Crohn's, which I don't know if we mentioned on, on your show, uh, but I had uh, a tumor in my lung just last mm -hmm. year, and I, got, I had to get that removed. Thank goodness it was benign, but... Um, you know, you, you deal with all these issues and you don't really know sometimes what caused them. And even if you did, yeah. you don't know what path you should take. And if you have some perspective on kind of what we are, yeah. and that's why I'm so like interstellar when it comes to this stuff. And again, my wife always makes fun of me because her for you page is way different than mine. Like <laughs> mine is so conspiracy theory, but it's also like very like stoic and you know, I, I always look at the the glass is half full for sure. Mm -hmm. But then I'm also like, people have it worse in other places. And like when, when all that stuff happened to me just in the past 12 months, 18 months, where not only did I get laid off, but, you know, um, uh, my wife's uh, father passed away. And then the same week, like I had this tumor and then uh, I didn't have a job. And it was like this, it was all this at once. And I'm like, some people don't have shoes and they're walking around yeah. getting chased by lions. Like if you just as a whole step back and take a look at like humanity and the world of mm -hmm. these 8 billion people, we don't really have that big of problems here in America. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it has been, it kind of goes along. One of the things I've really gotten into over the last few years is just gratitude and practicing gratitude because mm -hmm. we forget, especially after my husband's experience almost dying, but we forget how, we take it for granted how fragile life is and just how mm. how it, things can change in an instant. And so just being grateful for, okay, things might suck. Maybe we lost our jobs or we're dealing with a chronic illness and, and we can really get ourselves wrapped up in those things. But taking a step back to just remember that, man, we're alive. We have a roof over our heads. If you're listening to this podcast, then somehow you have access to an audio device. <laughs> so... Yeah. You know, you've got to so look true. at the the bright side of things and think about the positives that we have. Yeah. And I think it's, of course, everyone's like, well, Stephanie and Tony, it's easier said than done. It is. But I, I again, I think a lot of that is the type of um, content you're consuming. Yeah. Right. Like, because again, I go back to For You page where I'm consuming a lot of that content versus. You know, if you follow those folks in New York that have these crazy lofts that look over Central Park and, you know, yeah. all the all the Amazon cool finds and, you know, if you follow all that stuff, you're going to want that materialistic stuff and you might yeah. spend a lot of money and then you might not have money and then you find yourself stressed out and then that affects your relationships with 
you know, your spouse or with your yeah. friends. And there's just this ripple effect that we don't understand because we're kind of sucked in this like materialistic world. Mm-hmm. And when you can just surround yourself with, like you said, that that gratitude and you can immerse yourself in kind of that world, you see things a lot differently. And, you know, you're not, I, I've been big into like um, grounding, mm-hmm. which I don't know if, so, uh, and I kind of blame it on my dog, which he's napping uh-huh. right below me. <laughs> But uh, he has to go out in the morning, obviously, first thing. Sometimes it's at 6, sometimes it's at 2. And I find myself uh, walking out in the grass barefoot. And I started doing that every morning for uh, quite a while now. And I don't want to say there's like, you know, I'm not going to like put on my hippie hat and say, oh, there's mm-hmm. some great. But it's interesting because it's out, of, it's out of my normal. And we're so comfort with like carpet and like wearing shoes and like all that stuff. But when you can actually get outside and feel the mud and the and the gunk and the yeah. wetness of the grass, you just feel this like grounded connection uh, that you're not as big as you think. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. And it kind of makes you pause and just think about, you know, you look around, you are more aware of your surroundings mm. and the senses the sky you feel the grass under your feet and all of a sudden right. you're paying attention to the sunshine and you're paying attention to the sky and the trees and it mm. just refocuses the brain it's got a cool effect i know there's a lot of science behind it my problem is like i'll read all the science and i'll like digest all of this information and then i can't remember any of it i'm just like <laughs> i just remember grounding was good yes but- yes yes <laughs> well it's it's like all that stuff with circadian rhythm mm-hmm. right that that recently uh that came out and there's <clears throat> there's obviously a much better podcast than than what I'm talking about. But like you look at like Huberman Lab, which is one of my favorite podcasts, he talks uh, a lot, at least like once a month on circadian rhythm and just the benefits of going outside first thing, not ingesting coffee and waiting in like 90 to 120 minutes mm-hmm. before you have any caffeine. And the first 10 minutes of the day, you go right outside, you splash some water on your face beforehand if you need to, you go outside and you just let the sun hit. And yeah. if you get up before sunset, turn on all the lights in the house as bright as you can, and you just kind of wake your body up first thing in the morning. And studies are saying that you'll have sustained energy longer throughout the day. So then we can kind of eliminate the caffeine throughout the day yeah. if we do that um, because we've all, all been stuck in that, right, where you have caffeine first thing in the morning and then like by noon you're like, I need to pick me up. <laughs> and I, I do find the um, the correlation to be – quite true with that because like just today I just finished a coffee uh, mm-hmm. from Starbucks my wife picked up uh, some stuff for us and I today was the day I didn't go outside first thing I didn't walk uh, bare feet or barefoot in the grass um, I don't know if that if there's any correlation to that but it's kind of funny how the days that I need to pick me up are the days that I don't do everything right mm-hmm. you know it's fascinating and it could also be a lot of like routine and maybe when yeah. I'm stuck in the routine things go well and when I get out of the routine, that's when I need the caffeine and that's when I need the boost. That could be possible too, but it's interesting. It's it is interesting. interesting. And it's yeah. fun to kind of start, I don't know, I'm like a, uh, I overanalyze way too many things, but I start <laughs> thinking about, okay, so why did this happen? Why am I feeling good this way? Or did mm-hmm. I not sleep? You know, what was my REM sleep? How was my, what was my heart rate last night? Why am I extra tired today? Why yeah. do I need that coffee more? Did I not get outside? Did I not work out? <laughs> Oh, especially and then with there's Crohn's, too many right? variables. <laughs> yeah. yeah, especially with Crohn's, you we overanalyze like crazy. Yeah, <laughs> at least I do. Like when I have, um, I mean, just the other day, I mean, you know, too much information here, TMI. But 
Just the other day, I, I had an episode where it was, I think it was actually maybe after we spoke, where, you know, I talked about my issue where I get backed up for so mm-hmm. long, where it was like five days mm. I was backed up and I was cramping and I had some really bad stomach spasms. And then I just ended up not eating. Um, I did a, a huge intermittent fast. Normally I'm only like 12 hours, maybe 14 hour intermittent fast. I almost did 20 the other mm. day. And then now today I have some relief. I feel good. Um, but it was just like my intestines need a little break. And I found myself like in that five day window, I was like, what did I eat? Okay. So I went back and I tried (laughs) and I started overanalyzing. And sometimes, you know, it could just be stress. It could be, um, maybe I didn't get enough sleep and I don't know it. You know, there, there's so many variables and it's easy to overanalyze, but also too, we have to, the reason I think we overanalyze is because there's way too much shit. There's way too much like information out there. Or it's so, so easy, much. right, mm-hmm. to do it. And then you like you start reading one thing, you go down a path, and then you <sighs> pick up one little side nugget of it's like okay, now I got to research that, and that's right. It's never ending. Yeah, and you know whether you have a chronic disease or not, even if you're just looking into like, you know, um, I don't I don't know if I told you this, but um, my wife's pregnant. Did we talk about? Oh this? no, no, congratulations. Oh, thanks, thanks. Well, First, she, I'm gonna assume. It is first. Yeah. Awesome. So we're, she's, I think 16 weeks this past week or maybe 17 weeks. Mm-hmm. But we, uh, we find ourselves, of course, just like new parents researching everything. And as you know, <laughs> being a parent, there's, you know, one is like, you should coddle. The other one's like, don't ever coddle. Like there's, so with anything, whether it's a chronic disease or whether yeah. it's being a new parent or, you know, if it's planning a wedding, there's always like two sides and sometimes like 15 sides of each of those yeah. sides. <laughs> so we just have to kind of like sometimes take a step back and, you know, uh, humble ourselves a little bit, mm-hmm. learn as much information as we can, but also kind of gather our own information that works for us. Because sometimes yeah. all this stuff could be overwhelming. And if you just, you know, if, if you're smart enough and use critical thinking and just understand, I don't know if there's one way yeah. that's the best, you know, like for anything. I would say. For anything. A lot of times too, I mean, we get we take in so much information, but we have to kind of I often remind myself that people have been living for however long, eons. Millions of years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Millions of years, eons. I don't I don't know. We've been alive for a long time. Yeah. And before technology, before the internet, before all this stuff, people knew what to do. People knew how to give birth, they knew how to raise children, they knew how to go about their daily lives. And so I think if we cut out the noise, so to speak, and remind ourselves to step back, that if we listen Mm. to ourselves, I think innately, our bodies, we know what to do. So being a parent, I I would imagine that follow your gut, follow your instincts, you're going to know how to take care of that baby and and what the baby needs. Mm, That's so true. Wow, what a great way of saying that. Yeah, because you're right. I mean, we did... I mean, obviously, we didn't live to a hundred, you yeah. know. <laughs> but you know, back a million years ago, we probably lived to like twenty. Uh, so we got eaten by a woolly mammoth or something. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so I guess things things have changed. But yeah, we you know there is an instinctual um, something in our DNA that allows us to survive. You know, and you know that very, to be true when if you're ever in a um, a crazy incident, whether it's maybe a car accident or you're in um, some type of fight or disagreement, whether that's physical, emotional, we kind of have these like instincts that uh, allows us to fight back and to, Mm -hmm. 
lift a car, so to speak, right? When you're kind yeah. of in that, you, you always hear about that when a, uh, something happens to your child and your mother has this crazy strength and yeah, that, 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 that's in, instinctual and it is built into our DNA. And it's, I, we definitely forget about that for sure. You know, it's, it's even more interesting. Like I talk about my dog, um, and I, it's true with any spe- species, you know, it's, it's true when you look at a dog and somehow they know yeah. exactly what another dog is, you know, as, as a yeah. puppy, they know it's a dog and they know it's a cat too, which is, you know, they, they act differently around cats. Most dogs do anyway, yeah. than they do other dogs. And, you know, we, as a puppy, we had our little Corgi watching a TV and we're watching like the history channel. And, you know, we, we saw these like massive fields of lions and gazelles and he would be mad at the gazelle or excuse me, he'd be mad (laughs) at the lion. Right. And not at the gazelle. So it's like, and that was a TV. So there is something instinctual inside him and it's not far fetched to understand that that is also embedded into us, you know, for sure. Now my dogs, they might, uh, they might have a lot of the instinct in them, but uh, I'm not sure. My bigger dog, I'm not sure she understands what a mirror is. <laughs> As I think she's a little confused at who that dog staring back at her is, but <laughs> that is that's true. not part of their natural environment. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is so funny because with any dog or any animal, you put them in front of a mirror, and I would imagine it's got to be semi-terrifying because yeah. not only are they seeing that double dog, but they're also pricing double of you. And they're like, what is, how, <laughs> how is there two of you? And then they turn around and there's only one of you. And like, this yeah. is some sorcery. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, but anyway, let's, so first of all, I heard the episode, great job. Awesome. Um, Thank you that. for being on it. It's no, easy it was, to talk with you. It was so cool. Thank you. And uh, we'll obviously leave, for anybody that doesn't know, uh, Stephanie uh, hosts a podcast where uh, she not only talks about Crohn's, but she interviews uh, guests that suffer from Crohn's disease as well as other um, diseases as well. But I'll, I'll leave the the links there. But if you can uh, let people know about kind of your podcast and what it's about and that way they could check it out. Yeah. So I started my podcast called Crohn's Fitness Food uh, because we talk about Crohn's fitness and food. <laughs> so it. it's aptly, aptly named. <laughs> so <laughs> I started the podcast, I think, in 2019. And mm. really... I wanted to do it because I've had Crohn's. My first symptoms were in 2003, so it's been about 20 years for me. And throughout that journey, I have relied on the stories of other people. I always wanted to know there were things happening to me, and I wanted to hear it from someone else who's going through the same thing. So I scoured every blog and um, not so much Instagram in the early days because it (laughs) wasn't there, but (laughs) a lot of blogs and stories and just trying to find other people that could understand what I was going through and Mm. to hear it from them. So as my journey progressed in 2019, I was like, well, I want to start a podcast so that I can help share the stories of people with IBD because people with chronic illness, especially Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, every story is different. It's the same disease, you know, Mm. IBD, it's the same disease, but it's as if every single person has their own unique experience with it. There's a lot of overlap, which is where I think we can learn a lot from each other and just, you know, know that, man, I have explosive bloody diarrhea. I hope somebody else is experiencing that, (laughs) and I'm not the only one. But so we might have those similarities, but there's so much different. You know, I can eat red meat and drink wine. You tell that to another Crohn's 
sufferer and they're like, you know, stay away. I cannot have any red meat. And it's just very different. So, so that's why I started the podcast because I love, I love audio. My degree, my undergraduate degree is uh, broadcast journalism. So I've always loved kind of the, the whole radio broadcasting journalism, interviewing people. So it was kind of within me. And I thought, how can I use my skill set that I have and my love for tinkering with, you know, technology mm-hmm. <laughs> and help share these stories. So that's when I started it. And I really, I just interview people, they share their stories and people are able to connect through it that way. So. Yeah. It's awesome. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't eat red meat and, and, and wine. So, uh, I, I used to drink all the time. I mean, I, I do miss it. Um, I've, I've been, I think, I don't know, going on like almost, uh, four months sober since October. That's awesome. Yeah. And you know, it was, it was mainly a choice for two reasons. A, because I, I was curious, I was mm-hmm. curious on, on how I would uh, sleep because I was having issues with that. Of course, my Crohn's, I was having, uh, some issues still, even after eating all the right things. I was still having issues. And I think yeah. we talked about this on your show, but um, I don't know if there's, I mean, obviously there's not a cure, but I think with a lot of chronic diseases, I don't think there is going to be a one solution fits all. Yeah. You know, so when I was trying all these different things and everything was working fine and then boom, I had an uh, an episode. I was like, ugh, yeah. man, I thought I was doing everything right. And I just think it's going to constantly evolve and you're going to have to change it as you get older. And it's going to get more and more difficult. So I was like, you know, eventually I'm going to have to cut out alcohol anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's no 90-year-old healthy <laughs> old dudes that drink alcohol all the time. It just doesn't. Uh-huh. Because as you get older, your liver just can't handle it. Yeah. And if that's the case, then that means your liver has a shelf life. So I'm just going to start it now. I'm just going to give my liver a little break. Let's see where this goes. You know, worst case scenario, if I'm 70 and the doctor's like, dude, you, your liver is like a 20 year old. I'm like, right on, let's drink some whiskey, (laughs) you know, but I'm going to wait and just kind of see how that goes. So, so that, that was one part. And then also the other part is of course, my wife, when we found out she was pregnant, I was like, Uh, supporting her. Yeah. I'm going to do it with her because, uh, I hate, I don't want to say I hate, that's a strong word, but you know, because I'm plant-based and vegan, um, especially now that she's pregnant, I don't want, you know, we have to do what's best for the baby. So I told her, hey, listen, I appreciate you eating plant-based. She's been eating plant-based for years with me. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, but now I think it's important that, you know, you increase your meat, have some chicken, mm-hmm. have some eggs, you know, want that, those good fats um, yeah. and good proteins. And then, you know, of course, if the doctor's like, hey, scale it back a little bit, then we'll listen to them. You know, as, as, yeah. as you're pregnant, you want to be careful with fish, especially yeah. no sushi, no, um, they even tell you uh, no deli meats. Yeah. Which, which is interesting. Um, I forget the chemical that's in it, but there's some sort of chemical when it's raw that isn't good for developing fetuses. And which is fascinating to me because <laughs> I kind of knew that going into it because I, as a Crohn's patient, you hear a lot of research of like deli meat's the worst thing you should. Yeah. Right. And and then we we think, okay, so if it's bad for someone that has a chronic disease yeah. and it's you can't have it. probably bad for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you can't have it as a pregnant. So- so it's just bad, right? Like that's, and you know, they even say same thing with alcohol. We go back to that where you don't want to have alcohol really before you're 25, even though it's legal at 21, yeah. because your brain isn't fully developed. So it could be detrimental long term. Yeah. If you consume alcohol, 
well, I wish someone told me that because I was getting <laughs> wasted every night at the age of 18. So it's like all these things that you find out when you do the research and it's like, mm-hmm. even though it's legal, it doesn't make it make good for you. Plus you got to so. be in the mindset for it. But mm. but I've actually, yeah. I've been cutting back a little bit on my red wine consumption. So first of all, mm. my husband is a wine snob. So he's taken me down this journey from when he met me, I was drinking boxed wine. And uh, now, you know, now we're drinking very expensive, nice wine. So we've got a very large collection. <laughs> mm. But I've started to notice, you know, we're very complex beings, but I started to notice that I would wake up after one drink, you know, one glass of wine, I wake up the next day and I feel terrible and I just feel like crap. So it's like, well, mm. how much can I drink or shouldn't I drink? So I've actually, I have not gone like completely sober, completely no alcohol, but I have started trying some of these new products. You've probably, I don't know if you've tried them or not, but Apothecary is one that I've just found, just started trying, but it's like the, mm. like the no booze. It's like the, it's got the herbs, ashwagandha, different, you know, mushrooms and things in there to kind of yeah. relieve that stress and bring the calm. So apothecary had one I found on Instagram. <laughs> so of course. I bought it, uh, <laughs> but it's supposed, it's called, what is it? It's stop your whining. So it's, you that's know, funny. little powder, mix it all up. But yeah, so I've been funny. taking that. I, it's not the same as getting drunk and I'm not even so sure that I feel calmer from it, but mm, um, yeah. it's fun to try. So yeah. Um, s- send me that on Instagram. I'm curious about that. I've, yeah. um, you know, when I first started, um, cutting out booze, I tried this company Monday, mm-hmm. which is uh, very fascinating because they have like a whiskey, a gin, and I think a mezcal. Mm. Um, so, and you know, of course they partner up with like, uh, some interesting brands where you can make craft cocktails or yeah. mocktails as mm-hmm. it is. And the, the, the drinkability of it is very similar. You know, it kind of gives you that like, Ooh, mm-hmm. it's an alcohol. Yeah. Um, the, oh, you, it doesn't taste good, but <laughs> right. But I'm um, still going to drink it. No. <laughs> it's, 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 it's relatively, <laughs> right. it's, it's surprisingly enjoyable. Um, mm-hmm. considering it, it's just, it's fascinating. Like as you're drinking it, I think the whole concept of it is, and this is kind of like alcohol as a whole, we don't think about it, but we drink it for the social aspect usually. Yeah. Um, you know, there's not a lot of people out there unless you've been doing it for a while where you're like, Jack Daniels is great. It tastes good. It's like my favorite drink. Um, usually it's not, it's not like that. It's usually the drinkability and the, uh, the social aspect of it. And that's great. That that's what I found with Monday and some other companies. There's a really great one that, um, is hop water that Mm -hmm. I enjoy where what's great about them is kind of the same thing with you where it has like adaptogens and nootropics where it allows you kind of that calming feeling. Yeah. Um, so that part's very fascinating as well because that is the best part, I think, about yeah. wine in particular is like that like that that wine buzz is, ooh, <laughs> right? There, there's something Just cool happy. about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I miss about the wine buzz. I don't, I don't, I don't really miss like booze. Yeah. I don't miss beer and that feeling of like getting full – yeah. Man, that buzz of wine, ooh, there's something special in that second, third glass. You know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. <laughs> there is something good. And I get that uh, from hop water after having a few of them. It's essentially oh, just, nice. it's like sparkling yeah. hop water. I mean, that's what it I'm is. I'm going to have to try that because I'm getting nothing from apothecary. Like, <laughs> I want some kind of feel good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's cool. But, you it's know, and, and also what I love about kind of that aspect of it is, 
um, when you switch to something like that versus like going out to dinner and having a, a couple glasses of wine, your bill's a lot less at dinner. Yeah. You is. know, like when you cut out the drinking, it's fantastic how much money you could save. And, a lot. Yeah. And that's something we don't really think about as well because, you know, it's just the whole bill is what you're seeing. But when you start like overanalyzing, kind of like we do, um, yeah. <laughs> when you when you overanalyze and you look at it and you're like, wait a minute, so a glass of wine or a cocktail that's the same price as my meal yeah, and has zero benefits. And you can even argue saying like a meal at a restaurant has zero benefits because it kind of does because I'm <laughs> sure it's not like nutrient dense as something yeah. if you were to make it at home. But let's say that the meal at the restaurant is very nutritious for you. Let's mm-hmm. say hypothetically that might be worth <laughs> that might be worth 10 bucks maybe. But like a shot of tequila or yeah. a tequila sunrise or a Moscow mule, that's 10 to $15 and that has zero benefits to you. Yeah. <laughs> Except to make you feel good, sure, temporarily, but then the hangover afterwards and the 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 lack of sleep that you don't even know you're getting, like you talk about yeah. REM sleep, you're not getting the REM sleep when you drink alcohol, so it's, you know, I don't want to bash alcohol because I do yeah. miss it and love it. <laughs> um, it quickly became into like a bashing alcohol rant. Yeah. but. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we digress. But at the end of the day, it's it's interesting when you start breaking down and overanalyzing. There's there's some good things that come from overanalyzing this type of stuff because, you know, you don't understand the effects that it, yeah. it causes, right? And we always um, learn it. We always learn a little bit more. We always learn, and you know, who knows? I mean, we it might come down. We're finding all this stuff out. Maybe twenty years from now, they're like, you know, alcohol is the best thing you could take yeah. in your sleep. <laughs> Who, who fucking knows? I mean, it's a, it's who ever knows? changing. I mean, it wasn't like back in the fifties where doctors were prescribing cigarettes because they thought probably. it was good. <laughs> yeah, and it was probably because they were getting paid by, you know, Marlboro and all those. But yeah. they said it. You know, people did it because they're like, "Ooh, yeah, it's cool. Let's do yeah. it. <laughs> it's the way to go, right?" John Wayne smoking it. It's got to be good for you. Got to be good. <laughs> yeah, and then we find out, oops, lung cancer. So. Not so good. You know, what do you, and yet it's still legal. What the hell? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. But anyway, how are you, how are you finding in terms of like dealing with your illness? Are you finding that it's, it's easier to kind of go a certain direction when it comes to nutrition and, and fitness? Have you find that perfect medium or is it always I, changing? I think it's always changing. You know, you mentioned earlier, just, you know, things are always kind of evolving and changing, but I think because we're mm. humans, we're complex beings, things are always different. There's so many things for us to take into that equation of our health. And so am I getting enough sleep? Am I getting enough exercise? What am I eating? What am I not eating? What kind of nutrients am I getting? Am I not getting enough nutrients? So over the years, it is definitely, I have obsessed about food. I did (laughs) back in my early, early days when I was in my twenties, I did a few fitness competitions. And so, Mm. um, in the early two thousands, I did a couple of fitness competitions and that's where I really started to obsess about food because my Crohn's wasn't. So my first symptoms were in 2003. I did fitness contests in probably 2001, 2002. But it's, you know, you're counting every macro, you're counting every gram, everything you put in, trying to get down to unhealthy body levels of body fat. And then I get Crohn's and then it's like, oh, I can't eat vegetables anymore. (laughs) And what am I supposed to do? Um, So since then, it's kind of just been this journey of, okay, salads are out. Can't eat salads. Lettuce is bad. 
but then I figure out, oh, butter lettuce. I can kind of do butter lettuce, um, but yeah. then no salads and then no lettuce. And so it's been this constant evolution for 20 years of, and I think it's kind of, I don't know, waxed and waned, I guess, as far as how my health goes, as far as what I can eat and how my overall intestinal health is doing. But mm. over the years, long story short, we'll fast forward. I've tried a bazillion different things. Um, definitely, I think getting probiotics, fermented foods. I was fermenting for a while, so I was mm. making my own sauerkraut. I've made my own sauerkraut, made my own kefir, kefir, don't know how to say it. Yeah. <laughs> made my own kombucha. That was fun. Then you end up with all these, the mother, you end up with all these kombucha discs. Like, what do I do with this? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've done all the weird things, but... In the end, I have found that sticking with real whole foods, mm. keeping my stress down, sleeping when I can, learning to listen to my body, I've learned to really simplify things. So uh, right right now, I've kind of been concerned that I haven't been getting enough nutrients because over the years, I think a lot of IBD people, IBD patients fall into this, but you whittle your diet down so far to where you're basically eating a chicken breast. So not getting a lot of nutrients, I mean, chicken's nutritious, but it doesn't have everything. Right. So I've started to be full day anyway, right? Exactly. So I've started yeah. to be concerned about my nutrients because I also have uh, kidney disease, IgA nephropathy. And so I mm. feel I really start to, I don't know, I feel nuances in my body. I feel like when I'm not getting enough nutrients or just doesn't feel right. So I've started to drink Huel um, because mm. again, I saw, saw it on Instagram. <laughs> H-U-E-L. And as obviously, we know, any, I, every good purchase starts at Instagram. On Instagram. So obviously, I do all my shopping on Instagram, and I take all my medical advice from Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Huel has, I forget what it is, 27 vitamins and minerals and nutrients that you need. Yeah. So uh, I've started to take drink that every day, and I've found, I, I feel good with it, so I'll yeah. keep doing that. And they're um, like ready to go smoothies? Yeah, or meal replacement. They're meal replacement shakes, so it's gotcha. got protein, carbs, um, mix it up, <clears throat> yeah. protein shake. <clears throat> um, so I do drink that. Beef mm. liver, so little capsules, I've started to take those. I used to take them years ago, but beef liver, I've started to take those. I think that's been helping with my iron. I tend to have low, low iron, mm. so mm. I take those. And then a multivitamin, little gummy, because who doesn't like a gummy multivitamin? Of course. <laughs> as if I'm five and, uh, and then I try to have a healthy meal, but so I try to, I try to watch what I'm eating. I do eat a lot of sauerkraut still. And mm -hmm. I, and I do intermittent fasting. I told you that I do a lot of intermittent fasting, which I've been doing that for probably since 2015, 16, somewhere in there. So before going it was on, cool anyway, before it was cool, it was just starting mm -hmm. to get cool. Right. Interestingly enough for people who might want to try fasting. I first tried it probably in 2000 and I don't know, 10. I tried fasting and I just thought, okay, it's easy. Just don't eat. That's all there is to it. So I did that. I was like, I'll just go a day and not eat. I think I went five hours. <laughs> Get me some freaking food. <laughs> so true. Um, so then I, I kept trying it. I was like, this is just too hard. This is ridiculous. I don't know who's fasting, but it's impossible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Years then years later, I'm, you know, I read again how beneficial it is for keeping inflammation down and just that gut rest, which is huge for people with IBD. So mm -hmm. between wanting that gut rest and keeping my inflammation down, I thought, let me try it again. And then I did it again, but I did it 
more methodical and gently. And so I just simply skip yeah. breakfast, like, okay, have my coffee. I'm just going to skip breakfast and then I'll have lunch. And then I can push lunch back a little bit. And then once I got into the routine of a 16, eight, you know, fast for 16, eat for eight, then I found I could really start pushing the limits. And so then I could do the one meal a day. And then I tried OMAD and, and then I tried alternate day fasting. And then when Crohn's got really bad, then I would extend it, not really bad, but enough symptoms to where it's like, oh, I need to fix things. Um, I think the longest I did was maybe 42 hours. And so um, did some longer fasts. And then I think I did enough alternate day fasting and enough just hardcore fasting and limiting my diet that now I'm at a point where 16-8 feels really good. Um, I'm eating more foods. Vegetables don't bother me anymore. Um, for years, I just, I was really strict about what I ate and making sure that it was nothing processed and um, just really good, nutritious, valuable food. So yeah, I think absolutely. a lot of, I think a lot of things kind of came together and now I'm in a good spot where I'm not on medication. I'm in remission, except for this summer. I did have intestinal bleeding like all summer long. Oh, wow. Side note, Oof. I'm really pissed off at the doctors here in Florida, the one I saw for gastroenterology. So all summer long, June, July, August, tons of stress. Um, I start having intestinal bleeding. I have not had intestinal bleeding in years. Um, I call it my, this, and we were getting ready to move in August. So mm -hmm. in late July, August, I tell my gastroenterologist that I have in Texas and, you know, he's concerned. He's like, you know, with, with Crohn's, with IBD, he's like, I don't want to scare you. He's like, but you, it's kind of like, you're always standing on this cliff and you're always on the ledge and you never know what it's going to take to just kind of push you over and send you in a big flare. So he's like, it's really critical. You got to go find, you know, get set up with your next gastroenterologist. And I'm like, you know, yes, I agree. And so then I get here. Um, I, I go to the VA for my health care. Um, I loved the Texas VA, Audie Murphy Hospital. Shout out to them. <laughs> uh, not loving the VA here in Florida. <laughs> uh, where, but, uh, where, whereabouts? Uh, Bay one? Pines. I'm at the Bay Pines VA. Okay. Um, love my, I have a nurse practitioner who's my primary care provider. I love mm -hmm. her. Uh, my nephrologist is good, but my gas. So I got my consult to gastroenterology. I've just been uh, bleeding out my ass for three months, literally. Oh. That's not good. Like, I mean, just that sentence alone does not it's say not healthy. <laughs> yeah. So I go to the new gastroenterologist. I tell him this. He looks at my last two colonoscopy reports from 2021 and 2019, um, and they both were good because I'd been you know, really focused on my health, but those were both good. So he basically looked at me, saw me in a moment of health. And it was like, he literally said to me, assuming you even had it, Crohn's disease. And basically essentially told me to don't let the door hit you on the way out. He's like, I don't need to see you. I'm like, what? <laughs> Holy shit. Like, first of all, I just told you my intestines have been bleeding for three months straight. Yeah. I have had Crohn's symptoms for 20 years, like, and that sent me. So then I go down a rabbit hole. I come home. I'm like finding every single colonoscopy report that I've had. I've had like eight, eight colonoscopies, you know, multiple are, you know, ulcer, ulcerations and right. inflammation and crypt abscesses and, you know, all this stuff, you know, <laughs> yeah. and then there's like a couple good ones in there. 
so that was uh, just really frustrating um, because, you know, you want to, as someone with a chronic illness, you want to know that, okay, maybe I'm not doing bad right now, but I want to know that I have somewhere to go that, That's right. you know, that I don't have to just go to the emergency room and have them look at me like, well, this is something else. Why'd you come to the ER? So. Yeah. And, you know, I, I kind of had a similar situation too, where it's, it's kind of, God, it's such a fucked up disease, this thing, because, you know, the, you could kind of go through remission and not have yeah. any issues and, and, uh, it doesn't look like you do, but yeah. this little, uh, this little Crohn's cat, he's, uh, he likes to hide, you know what I mean? Yeah. He likes to, yeah. he likes to just party in the intestines somewhere yeah. <laughs> and then just come out whenever he wants, you know, it's, yeah. um, it's, it's weird though. And, uh, sorry I had to go through that cause that's, and still going through that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's shitty. And, you know, even one of my guys, uh, one of the gastrologists here, supposedly one of the best in Florida. He was located in Tampa. I don't want to mention his name, but, uh, but he, he definitely gave me some great advice. And then when it came to giving me a prescription and, uh, he gave me Humira, which I think I told mm -hmm. you this story. Yeah. And once he gave me that, and, you know, it was almost like, hey, you got this now. You're good. Yeah. And then every time I would come in, it was more, all right, you good? All right, great. That's it. It was like a two-minute appointment. And I'm like, yeah. I'm not a fan of of how cavalier this guy is when it comes to, to these intestines. Because I would even tell him, I'd be like, but I'm still having this issue. This is what, yeah. you know, happened with my stool and this and that. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you're good. Just you know, let's keep doing this dose and see what happens. And then I ended up getting a really bad infection from it and then I just stopped talking mm -hmm. to him I stopped visiting him. uh and by that time I moved a little bit south to Apollo Beach here and uh, I'm gonna see a different specialist because I have a couple other issues kind of hanging out um where I actually have this cyst that got built up mm. and they say it's reloaded related to Crohn's somehow mm. so that got biopsy and that's gonna have to get removed uh pretty pretty rapidly so it's you know but again it's like one of these things that Crohn's is the gift that keeps on giving you know, it's it like, is. <laughs> it's it, it's constantly just ever evolving and changing. And yeah, unfortunately, there's just no, there's no solution to it. I don't think. Yeah. Quite yet. And that's why it's so frustrating to be dismissed by a physician, by a, right. a gastroenterologist. It's frustrating to be dismissed because it's like, as patients, we have taken in so much information and we know that it can cause so many different issues and just having inflammation in the body can cause issues. So yeah. And I think also, I know for me, but I think probably a lot of patients feel this way is I think that's why I have sought out so many different remedies, like fix yourself kind of a thing, because you mm -hmm. can't, in some ways you can't rely on the healthcare system because, because of situations like that, where it's like, I was literally just dismissed. And so it's like, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? And side story, the very, very first time I had my major flare. So I'd had, um, first of all, I blame... I blame my Crohn's on the anthrax vaccine, <laughs> so which you might like because you like conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, I, but, I, blame, uh, I blame vaccines on a lot of stuff. Yeah, I do. But I think, you know, there's a lot of research as far as um, an environmental trigger for some of these autoimmune or chronic conditions, having that environmental trigger where it's not just one thing, but it's you've got the genetic predisposition, you've got, um, you know, the DNA and everything. It's just all kind of there but it's not active and then it takes one thing in the environment to really 
trigger that cascade of effects mm -hmm. in your body. So I think I really think it was anthrax, just the anthrax vaccine, just because it was right about that time when I got it shortly after I started having intestinal bleeding. But, um, you know, I was 23, two, three at the time, 23. And that's not really something you want to tell people about. Plus, I was living in a different state from my parents. So I didn't even have my parents nearby because I was at college. So it was just kind of like, well, I haven't died yet. So we'll just we'll just ignore this bleeding and see what happens for <laughs> a week or two. And, and then it's like, well, yeah. I haven't died for two weeks. And so we'll just continue to ignore this. Side note, I do not <laughs> I do not recommend that. That is not my advice. Do not ignore intestinal bleeding. Yes. But then in 2006 was when I had like my first major flare up where it was like bloody diarrhea every 15 minutes for weeks, weeks at Oof. a time. And I couldn't go to the hospital because I was not going to be able to be in my car long enough to make it to the hospital without having un literally uncontrollable diarrhea. Like when people say uncontrollable, like people think, you know, you've had diarrhea when you're sick, but right. this was a whole different level of just, there was no controlling it. Yeah. So I couldn't, I and couldn't it's like go to the it doesn't hospital. end, right? And it didn't end. Yeah. So I couldn't go to the hospital because I wasn't going to, you know, mess up my car seat. <laughs> right. And, or, uh, or their lobby. <laughs> exactly. And I wasn't yeah. going to be able to wait in the, yeah. you know, in the waiting room for that long. And so I just didn't go. So finally it took, um, it took three, four months before I finally was able to go long enough and be able to go to the hospital. I'd just gotten out of the army. I didn't know if I had a primary care doctor or who it was. So I just thought I'll go to the emergency room um, and tell them I have intestinal bleeding and uncontrollable diarrhea. So I go there and I tell them this and they're like, well, how long have you had it? And it's like, oh, well, you know, now it's probably been three months. And then they look at me and it literally, I got asked the question in the ER by the, whatever, the gatekeepers, the receptionist, mm. why did you come to the ER? Why did you feel it was appropriate to come to the ER when you've been having these symptoms for so long? You should have made an appointment with your primary care doctor. And it's like, wow. Oh, wow. Like <laughs> okay. I'm 20, 22, 23 years old. My parents are in a different state. Um, my husband, ex-husband, but he was, my husband at the time was on a different duty assignment. So he was not there. So I'm like alone. I go to the ER thinking, been bleeding out my, my ass for a while. I yeah. should see a doctor. And I'm basically told, why did you come here? So it's wow. like, yeah, I'm just can't wait to go to the doctor again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's and so, so then fitting. it's like, gosh, I got to fix myself. So I think that's a big reason as to why for so many years, it's like, let me experiment with my diet. Let me experiment with my fitness. Let me experiment with CBD and whatever other nutrient, you know, supplements I can take and L-glutamine and, yeah. and turmeric. Um, I didn't have the turmeric paste like you mentioned on my show, but I was chopping up turmeric for a long time and yeah. my hands, my hands are orange. My, <laughs> my cutting board is orange. <laughs> Probably that, why I look orange in yeah. this video. <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and that never goes away, by the way. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about uh, everything you just said is not one person, at least for me anyway, not one person, not one doctor has ever went the nutritional route. Yeah, neither for me. Right? Yeah. 
yeah. which is unbelievable considering. Yeah. And, you know, then I, of course, got into this rabbit hole of, okay, so how many doctors are certified nutritionists? The answer is zero. Yeah. A nutritionist is a certified nutritionist. But hmm. I think the, med I, I don't want to quote this, but I'll probably make this a clip, but medical doctors, doctors that we see, for instance, uh, whether it's in, intestinal doctors like gastroenterologists or, you know, um, uh, any doctor you go to, doesn't matter what it is. Even the one that is giving birth mm -hmm. to our, the OBGYNs that are giving birth to my child coming up, they require zero nutritional certifications to be doctors. Yeah. And I think in their entire educational training, because my ex-husband was actually a doctor. <laughs> oh. So, um, and he was, he was really big into health and fitness too. So it really mm -hmm. frustrated him that throughout the entire training, there was maybe like 15 minutes of coursework on nutrition out of the entire medical, um, medical school, medical residency. And it was not anything in depth. It was like, here's the food guide pyramid and you should, you know, make sure your patients are following the food guide pyramid. Oh, um, which is and, all made up anyway. Exactly. So, yeah. um, so yeah, they really, you know, they're not, they're just, they're not trained in nutrition. That's not what they study. That's not what they go to school for. And so it's hard to, it's hard to fault them for it when that's not their area. And then yeah. they don't know enough about it. And it hasn't been studied because there's no monetary gain to study food because it's not a big pharmaceutical company that's going to make a lot of money if they find out that eating salads <laughs> are good for you. <laughs> so nobody's going to study it because nobody is going to have a way to earn money from that. And so it's just kind of this, you yeah. know, leftover thing. But shout out to the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation is they are the ones that have been doing a lot of research into diet, um, especially the specific carbohydrate diet and some other different kinds of diets and how they affect inflammatory bowel disease. So there is some research that's, you know, happening and going on. It's just not as much research as perhaps there is behind certain drugs or medications. But. Yeah. And, you know, research that it should be, you know, like uh, the, the amount of research should be in conjunction with the amount of patients that are dealing with it. Yeah. But because there's millions of patients that have IBD and, and deal yeah. with Crohn's and, um, you know, unfortunately, there's just not a lot of people that are invested into it. And, you know, it, it all kind of stems from a very early age, right? You look at like where, what they teach in schools. Another reason why I'm terrified to be a father is not, am I going to be a good father? I, I'm, I think I'm going to be a decent what father if I try. <laughs> what are they teaching? But, What's my kid going to experience in this yeah, scary you know, world of 2023? That's right. And, uh, you know, whether that's in <laughs> pre-K all the way leading up to high school, um, yeah. It, it's frustrating to me, uh, and always has been even when I didn't know I was going to be a parent, but it's always frustrating that we don't teach kids a lot uh, yeah. at a young age. You know, we teach them quite the contrary, right? We, we teach them things that they're not going to be using as they get older. You know, yeah. I, I'd, be, um, I'd be very interested to know the thought process that goes into our government and how it gets passed down to that. I know there's a lot of crazy conspiracy theories out there where you know even as a um uh as the conception of school started when it was really just you want men and women to clock in and out so that they could eventually work for the man quote unquote the man. <laughs> and um you know that's why we don't teach 
kids about real estate or investing or the economy and how that moves and works. We don't teach them about nutrition in school. Like why isn't there, instead of calculus, why don't we teach kids um, the body and uh, the anatomy and how kind of the, the body works? And I feel like if we teach these kids at a young age all the different things and how the mind works, how the body works, as we get older, we'll be able to use critical thinking skills and to make our own decision, you know, because yeah. and by that we make our own decision on how to move forward in life, meaning should I snort this line of Coke? Yeah, <laughs> probably not. Because <laughs> it does this to my body. Hmm, maybe yeah. I should treat my body like a vehicle and take care of it. But we just have these stupid ideas that we're watching all this stuff play out in school and we're like, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to uh, listen to this teacher talk. So I'm just going to rebel and I'm going to go do drugs and have fun and party because school's stupid. But if you could teach me all the good things in life, like real estate, uh-huh. like owning a home, like starting a family, like good community values, if you could teach me that stuff in school, then now I'm going to want to listen to it because I know it's going to pay off long term. And of course, there's still going to be kids that do drugs and rebel. And of course, that's going to happen. But I think a vast majority of us would be like, ooh, this is beneficial, right? Because you can probably line up 100 people in their 30s right now and say, (laughs) name me what you learned in middle school. And I bet 99 of them will say, I don't remember a fucking thing. Yeah. (laughs) Because we don't use any of that stuff, right? So like, why do we teach that? Is it just to keep kids occupied while the parents work and make money? Maybe. Maybe. I do remember I had a, in middle school, I had a a baking class. So I grew up in Utah, uh, but I had a baking and a sewing class. There you go. See, that Uh, to me is more But then we also had part-time ski lessons too, so. (laughs) Uh, Also pretty useful. More more useful than than calculus. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, it is kind of a weird thing. But, you know, again, this is all, we're learning so much and I think we're, the people that are born today, like my daughter, when she's born, she's going to live to be in the year 3000. That's crazy. Which is wild to think. Ho- hopefully. Yeah. I mean, thank God she lives. Hopefully she lives to like 200. Maybe by that time they'll yeah. figure out ways to, to you know, freeze brain cells or however they got to deal with that. But uh, we're learning so much every day. And what we were taught in school, I think there was an excuse where, well, we don't know. We don't know about nutrition that much. So... We're going to follow this food pyramid, and it's the best we know now. But now we know that's all garbage. And we're still promoting it. (laughs) That's right. Come to find out they're still teaching that goddamn pyramid in school. It's a little bit more like steroided up, like, you know, a little more grains, a little more veggies. But they're still teaching about milk, and we know all the downfalls of dairy and (laughs) what that can cause. And, you know, I'm not saying dairy is all bad, um, but there is more— negatives that come from drinking dairy than water. I did drink raw milk so, for a while as part of my Crohn's food experiments so as I've tried every every diet and every fitness routine under the sun, but and, and raw milk. <clears throat> so raw milk was interesting because of course I went to Google and I came across this story and it's called the raw milk cure. So back in the, mm. as I said earlier, I forget all the important details, but I don't know, back in the 50s or somewhere, they used to use raw milk to cure different diseases or sicknesses. Um, Mm. And then I read a story of a Crohn's patient who drank raw milk and 
improved his Crohn's. And so I was like, I got to figure out this raw milk thing. So I started drinking raw milk because it's, it's not processed. It's not like the milk you go to the grocery store and buy now. It's straight from the cow. It's got all of the nutrients. It's got all the nutrition it needs to raise a baby cow. Mm. Um, and so I started drinking that. And it, I think that helped too. I think that was a good, I started drinking like four or five cups of raw milk a day. It's very really? delicious, very creamy, very mm. tasty. Um, but you can't buy raw milk easily. So depending on what state you live in, it may be illegal. Right. So you can't even get it. But I had to, in Texas, I was able to find a local farm that if I went to the farm and bought the raw milk at the farm, I was able to buy the milk. So I went to the farm, they had grass fed cows, they were milking the cows. It was pure raw milk. Um, and you think about, um, you just think about all the, the good bacterias and oh, yeah. the things that are in raw milk that are killed when it goes through pasteurization and, yeah. and processing. But that well, was a fun you know, experiment. <laughs> that, that's fascinating. And I'd be open-minded to try that. I mean, I feel about dairy as, as passionately as I feel about meat, mm -hmm. meaning um, deli meat. Yeah. We know is not the best high meat. quality meat. Right? It's not it's not real meat. Most of it anyway. It's very processed, very uh, mm -hmm. you know, loaded with sodium and um, preservatives that according to most doctors, you can't have if you're pregnant, right? So yeah. why even have it? But then you look at like, okay, so if you go out in the back and you have deer and you shoot the deer, skin the deer, cook the deer, that's gonna be the most nutritious meat that you can have. I think that's a perfect analogy for, oops, I just kicked over my water. <laughs> Uh-oh. I, I think it's a perfect analogy for, for milk is meat, you know, sorry, I know this is video, but I'm going to be over mm -hmm. here, but it's a perfect it analogy, like raw milk versus the milk you buy in the store is mm -hmm. essentially deli meat versus grass-fed meat, right. wild-caught fish, things like that. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, again, this is this is the problem that I think we're running into, um, not just with the dairy industry and the meat industry, but just food as a whole. You know, as we, shit, what are we at now? Like 8 billion people on the planet. Yeah. So it's, it's supply and demand. And now we're at the point to where we just want to eat as much as we possibly can. So a lot of these big corporations and companies are just loading up all their good food because they all started in a good place, I feel like. Each company, whether it's a fast food chain like McDonald's or Tyson Chicken, they all started in a place where it was maybe 100 people and they just wanted to cook the best chicken possible. They wanted to give us, the American people, the world, they wanted to give us the best product possible. And then we started just fucking and and, and <laughs> filling the, the earth with billions and billions of people. Next thing you know, now these companies can't keep up. And they have a bottom line and they have stockholders and they have hundreds of people that want bonus checks and they want to do whatever they can to get that money. And what does that mean? Well, that means, well, if we cut this corner a little bit and we make this processed, ooh, we can save 5% on here and 20% here and now we can get a bigger bonus check and we get that Lamborghini now. So now all these CEOs and these big companies are like, screw the American people, screw the humanity, <laughs> screw humanity. I just want to make money. And within 100 years, we have completely saturated earth of its resources and agriculture. Yeah. And we've we've destroyed any chance, I think, of reversing this. I don't know if there's 
a way to come back from this. I know there's a lot of farms out there that are trying to do what they can. I yeah. believe it's called a reverse agriculture. Um, yeah. Where you've heard of this? I've heard of it. Yeah, I think yeah. there's a. I think there's a term. It might be reverse agriculture, but yeah. where they're trying to reverse what agriculture has done, but yeah, yeah, put nutrients back into the land and That's right. different and ways it, of farming and, and yeah, back to the. Old ways break. of yeah. mm -hmm, giving it breaks. and Because that's the key, right, is if we can just stop eating for a second <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> just give give the ground a break, give, you know, because the reason we have to mass produce fish and um, the reason we slaughter cows and factory farming the way it is is because yeah. we just eat too much. So yeah. we have to pump these things full of steroids to keep up with demand and they have to grow faster and they have yeah. to hurry, hurry, hurry and do it. So that's the that's the issue. Is it's not that meat is bad. I don't I don't believe in that. I'm yeah. I'm the anti-vegan when it comes to that because <laughs> if you want to eat meat, eat meat. We can do it. But the problem is like, okay, so what if we eat all the cows on the planet? Let's just say hypothetically, yeah. are you going to eat meat anymore? Are you going to eat cows anymore? No, you can't because it's all gone. So then, what do you have to do? We have to relax. We have to raise the cattle from fresh, yeah. and we have to slowly grow that population back up. And then yeah. once we get it to a healthy place then we could start eating meat again and we just forgot that step we're just like feed me feed me feed me and now we're here we are at the point to where beyond meat is making yeah. fucking fake meat and then that's pumped full of preservatives and oils and who who the fuck knows what's what's going to happen with people eating that i mean i'm guilty of eating every now and again as well but you know if we eat that for 10 years straight what's going to happen yeah. to our intestines like we just don't know what's happening when all we could easily do Stephanie, yeah. is just let's not eat that much. <laughs> if let's, the whole world could intermittent fast, <laughs> yeah, just imagine if the whole world did intermittent fasting for like a year. That'd be Everybody. crazy. Yeah, the amount of food that would oh. not be consumed. Yeah, I mean, look at—we're overfishing the ocean now. It's like yeah. a serious problem. People don't understand. It is a massive issue where there is zero fish yeah. <laughs> left for us to to eat. And not only that, but now you look at like the predators that are yeah. in the ocean. So now you're seeing like all these great whites and these weird fish and, yeah. and, and mammals like, you know, orcas and things that are going into areas that they've never gone into before. Yeah. And they think it's because, oh, they're exploring. They're finding, looking for food. Yeah. Trying they're trying to survive. Yeah. It's crazy. So next thing you know, who knows? I mean, five years from now, are great white attacks going to be more common because they're going into different yeah. areas of the ocean? It's, um, it affects the whole ecosystem. We don't look out for the planet. Yeah. It affects us all. So it's, uh, <laughs> but on that positive note. Yeah, I know. We're all going to die. <laughs> we have five years to live. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, it is It is fascinating how nutrition and, and, and our bodies are very interconnected. And yeah. we just, we have to get a little bit better at educating ourselves because it doesn't seem like people are going to educate us on it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We got to go to Google. <laughs> we got to figure it out for ourselves. <laughs> we we have to go to the unbiased search engine, Google. And <laughs> Is there any other? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Bing. But, Who's using Bing out there? <laughs> Bing, Yahoo, all that mm. stuff. But um, now this, uh, again, as always, this is uh, this is a fun conversation. We could probably do this for another couple hours. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have to maybe do this in person at some point as well. That'd be um, wonderful. But uh, so, Stephanie, so let us know a little bit about uh, more about your podcast, where to find it, uh, what it entails, what your goals are, and um, let the people know where to find you. 
Yeah, so basically just Crohn'sFitnessFood.com. You can get to everything. So it's my website. I started that as a blog a few years ago, a little bit before I started the podcast, but podcast is also named Crohn's Fitness Food. So podcast, you can find that anywhere podcasts are available. And that's really just me interviewing other people with Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis so we can share more IBD stories. And Instagram, Facebook, Crohn's Fitness Food. So uh, got to keep it simple. Crohn's Fitness it. Food. <laughs> It's my alter ego, I guess. My <laughs> I love it. It's a pleasure to talk to you and to get to know you a little bit more. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And it was a pleasure visiting with you. Oh, hey there. First of all, thanks for making it to the end of this video. Not a lot of people do, according to the YouTube analytics. But I, I do want to say thanks for listening to this. There's some more episodes if you want to check those out and they're all just as good but if you haven't already make sure you subscribe to the channel check out those timestamps below to reference uh, some of the topics i talked about as well as some discount links to some of our sponsors and affiliates but uh, thanks for listening to this episode and uh, we'll see you next time